0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the 21st Folio. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about two Thomas Ostermeyer productions of Shakespeare. One is Hamlet and the other is Richard Third, and they're both from the Schaubunen, Berlin? Noemi's going to pronounce it correctly so that I'm not the only version you've heard of this. But anyway, so for on this episode, we've got two guests. Noemi Berkowitz.
1: Hi, I'm Noemi Berkowitz. I am an actor and director who's based in Berlin.
2: And Mary Angela Rowe. Hi, I am the editor at large of Seventh Row and I'm based in Toronto.
0: And I'm Alexini. I'm the editor in chief at Seventh Row and also in Toronto. Who is this, So Noemi, maybe you can give us some background on the theater company, since you are actually in Berlin and have actually been there. (laughs) Yeah, so
1: the Schaubühne is one of the major theaters in Berlin. It's an ensemble-based repertory theater, like most of the theaters in Germany are. And so it has an ensemble of actors, as well as sometimes guests for certain productions. And it has an artistic director, house directors, as well as guest directors who come and work there. Most productions in the German system, including both of the ones we're talking about today, premiere and then run for several years. However, they're not playing... Uh, eight-shows-a-week type of run, like in the West End or on Broadway. Rather, they're playing maybe one to five times a month, depending on the month. And especially from the Schaubühne, they tend to tour a lot. The Schaubühne is one of
0: the theaters in Berlin that
1: tours internationally the most.
0: And I saw them on tour. That's how I I first saw Richard III in New York City when they were on the tour there um, in 2017, yeah. So the two productions, let's see, so I think Hamlet premiered in 2008, and this recording is 2009 in France at the Avignon Festival, and um, Richard III, I think, is 2014, and the recording, I want to say, is 2015. So yeah,
1: we caught both of the the recordings of both of these productions that we watched are pretty early on in their runs, Mm -hmm. and I did see Hamlet last year, so about 10 years after it opened.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of time for it to develop, and I saw it in 2017, so I think that's three years after it opened, and it's quite different from the 2015 recording, or at least it's developed a lot. I don't know if different is the right word.
1: So that's Richard III and I've seen Hamlet and so we can also speak a bit to the differences between the production live and the streaming oh, version yeah. as all the theaters are calling it even though it's not a live stream. It's just a recording. <laughs> it's just a recording. It's
2: a recording German that they Theater... you like
0: six hours
1: to watch, which is... German theaters do not understand what live stream means. It's like that one quote, like, you keep using that word. I do not think you know what it
0: means.
1: (laughs) That applies to every single theater in Germany. They're all
2: calling their archival recordings live streams.
1: Yep, and they're all, all releasing a bunch right now.
2: Well, I mean, the latter part is nice, but, like, look, at least with the Met, they give you almost 24 hours to watch an opera. It was, like, with these... Alex and I had to be like, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to watch it right now. Because if the stream buffers, then it, we might run out of time, you know?
0: Well, at least we're in a time zone when we're awake. When it's true. Very like, true. I wouldn't. If you're in Australia, I think you'd have to be up in the middle of the night.
1: And they do, the Xiaobun in particular co- collaborates a lot with Australia. So that was a choice. <laughs> we'll we'll see in the upcoming years if that continues <laughs> just saying
0: yeah so i feel like we need to explain what these productions are because they're german translations of shakespeare which i think have modernized language though you would know more than i because you speak the language but then the subtitles are in English and are mostly just copying Shakespeare, with a few
2: exceptions. Like, absolutely not. Everything is fine.
1: Yeah. The greatest
2: I, line in Hamlet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I can say um, a lot about this. <laughs> okay. I have notes about it, and I, the, when I saw Hamlet, both of these productions are consistently sold out in Berlin at the Schaubühne and it's almost in- impossible to get tickets to them. And so when I saw Hamlet, I actually sat next to the one woman rem- running subtitles uh, oh. because I knew her, and so I was sitting kind of um, actually sort of up in the grid <laughs> looking down. I was in a very unusual position. And I spoke with her about the translation. Basically one of the gifts of doing Shakespeare in other languages is that you can really adapt the language. And one of the most enjoyable things for me about these productions is the way in which it does sound so modern. Something I noticed, I'm fluent in German, but fancy old classic German, the equivalent of Shakespeare in English, like maybe reading... Kleist, Schiller, Lessing, Goethe, those would take a little longer for me. They're going to be a little harder for me, just like to any average English speaker, the first time you're reading or listening to Shakespeare, or not even the first time, it's going to take a minute. It's going to be a little more complicated. That is not the case with either of these productions. Both of these productions, the language is totally accessible. Um, a lot of times where in the uh, translation... Like an official German translation, it might be using the formal you um, or the royal sort of uh, addresses for people here. People are just saying du, the informal you. And there's also a lot of fun things that they do with the language. Uh, In Richard III, there's this quote that Buckingham says, which in the subtitles in English, I believe, I mostly had them off, but sometimes I would check this, In the subtitles in English and in the original English, it says, As we well know, or as well we know, your tenderness of heart and gentle, kind, effeminate remorse. And the translation, I would say, approximately of what he said in German was, Okay, we all know you're super tender and super compassionate. I mean, sometimes a little bit too much compassionate, like a little (laughs) bit exaggeratedly (laughs) compassionate, tender heart. And it's super funny and because that production of Richard the I think, was also in France, no one in the audience is laughing because they're reading the subtitles. <laughs> or was it in France? Or was it? Yeah, it was in France. Yeah. yeah, So, um, so yeah, I think it was in France because at one point Richard apologized to someone I think in the front row and said "Je suis désolé" or something. Probably because he, I don't remember exactly why. Anyway, the point is. The way that they're using the language is very typical of German theater and it it is very much like, oh yes, we're in this Shakespeare play in this situation, but then we're just kind of like, okay, you know, sometimes your heart is a little too, like really, it's that tender? And sort of these fun asides to the audience and that is completely lost in translation here.
0: But yeah, so when I was watching Richard III, the recording, to me it had a lot fewer asides and a lot less informal things going on compared to what I saw. But I'd wonder if that's just because it was in German, so I didn't understand what was happening. Whereas I think when they did this in New York City, generally when he went off book, it was mostly in English. Like, a lot of the asides were in English, and you would know the difference between the aside and the text, mostly because the text was in German.
1: Can you share a bit about, like, what those asides were, what type of stuff was happening or what he was saying, if you remember?
0: Um, well, part of it was that, like, it was mostly improvised and responding to what was going on in the audience. So, for example, somebody came in late and he said to that person, you missed the big speech. It's not like Hamlet with to be or not to be that's in the middle. This is, it's at the very beginning. You missed it.
1: <laughs> Which is, of course, ironic because the Hamlet production that Lars <laughs> Adenauer yes, also stars in starts with the to be or not to be speech.
0: <laughs> yes. I didn't know that at the time, but when I watched that, I was like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I... He like he was just walking the aisles a lot in the audience and I was sitting on an aisle. So like at one point that production was very funny and more so than I found in the the recording. And I again, I don't know how much of that is that I missed what they were doing in German and how much of it was like translated for English for me when I saw it in New York. But I also noticed when I saw it in New York that I was laughing like crazy And a lot of the rest of the audience did not know what to make of what they were watching and like he definitely picked up on the fact that I was laughing at him the entire time Mm -hmm. and so anyway at one point he came up to me and I was like I was taking notes because I knew I was because I basically got a ticket to it which was sold out because I got press tickets Um, so I'm writing in my notebook and he came over and was looking over my shoulder and started (laughs) looking at my notes (laughs) And they all just say, oh, my God,
1: Lars Edinger so hot right now. Oh, my God, now he's naked. Pretty
0: much. <laughs> Apparently, I, on the other evening...
1: Uh,
0: uh, <laughs> a lot of people
1: share that opinion. So many people agree with you.
0: I find... I don't know that I think he's handsome, but I find him so charismatic that, like... I find him attractive, even though I'm not sure that if you just showed me a picture, I would have been like, now there is a handsome guy.
1: I um, do not find him attractive, and I think he's a really... I mean, I do think he's a talented actor, but... Mm, well, and, and also, like, it, part of his talent is uh, just being absolutely disgusting on stage yeah uh so that's that's the overriding impression i have um when it comes to the attractiveness i'm like yeah you're a talented actor you're disgusting <laughs> but yeah. i don't mean that in a mean way if i had if i want to say other mean things about him then i would just talk about his campaign where he was <laughs> posing with homeless people to sell an expensive bag
0: oh right wait, wait what, what? About that
1: But we don't need to talk about that if you guys don't want to. Okay.
0: He's got, like, as a human seems to be, like, very bizarre and extremely problematic.
1: Whereas on stage, he's not bizarre at all.
0: Well, like, I used to follow him on Instagram, and I had to unfollow him because he had, like, 10,000 stories a day, and I didn't understand 95% of it. <laughs> and not because it was in German, but because it was in Lars Eidinger, and at some point I was like, I just can't.
2: No. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. But, um, that could be its own podcast, and if it were, I wouldn't be a guest on it, so. Maybe. (laughs) Yes. So. But, I mean, if you guys want to keep talking about his attractiveness or how often he's naked, like, that's totally fine with me. (laughs) I'm just not participating.
2: Well, so. Well, he was naked a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And Noemi and I had like a a brief chat about this earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, And Noemi, you said that it's like nudity is relatively common in German theater. So this would not have been shocking to German audiences. But as a North American and a wasp, I was like, oh my, a nude man. Um, (laughs) Nude
1: men are very common in Germany on theater stages. (laughs) I have seen many of them. I have worked on many plays with them. I have assistant directed plays with them. I have seen my colleagues naked. (laughs) It is very
0: common. And I remember when I saw Richard III in New York City, there were people who were saying who had seen it the, the night before that he had urinated on stage. And so I showed up and I was like, but he didn't urinate on stage. I missed the big show. I think I told you that, no, I mean you were like, Yeah, that's uh, that happens.
1: Yeah, I think it oh used to be a thing that was like shocking for people and now people be like, Oh yeah, wow, okay, you urinated on stage. Amazing. Not <laughs> I guess it's still shocking in the US.
2: Yes. We're generally <laughs> averse to other people's bodily fluids here. Yeah especially in this time of isolation yeah
0: well well what yeah watching him lick that sword in hamlet took on new Mm -hmm. meaning in this time because you're Mm -hmm. like i mean it's unsanitary and gross in the best of times but when you see him doing that now you're like well you're gonna get coronavirus hamlet
2: (laughs) best thing for him
1: really One thing you can really see with the detail of the close-up recording that you miss in the live performance is how much dirt is in his mouth at all
2: times. Yeah, extremely unhygienic production. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Um, So now that we're there, how do we begin to explain this production of Hamlet? Because I was trying to explain it to my partner and I was having some difficulty.
1: Um, it's kind of set on mud um there's stage with scaffolding built and you have a frame with a sort of okay i thought this was going to sound a lot better um, are you about how about do you describe the curtain yeah you have a curtain on which video can be projected but it's also cut into it can several be rendered pieces
2: translucent.
1: Yeah. so it so as The frame moves back and forth on the scaffolding of the stage it can go over various set pieces like the tables and so yeah the aesthetic of this production you have live action and you have things being filmed in real time and projected as well uh how else would i describe the
0: production um it, well, it's modern day, obviously. Well, maybe not obvious. Modern dress. Modern dress. Yeah, kind of um, like
1: trashy. You have shitty food on the banquet table and um, a lot of beer drinking. You have Ophelia and Gertrude played by the same actress um, with a wig being and, and sunglasses being used to differentiate Gertrude. And it's yeah, a very I,
0: small cast, right? There are like
1: six, so people, six people in it. Yeah. Although I recently watched a production from the Münchner Kammerspiele, which is a major German theater in Munich, of Hamlet, which they were live streaming, once again, (laughs) a recording. And that one was only three people, so.
0: Whoa. Wow.
1: (laughs) I mean, I saw 12- Did they have people switching wigs mid-scene? They had, all of the three people also played all of the characters. They didn't have wigs, really. No, there was like one wig at one point. I think. I think when the older gentleman played Gertrude, he wore a wig. That production was amazing. I loved it.
0: Anyway, so... I saw a Twelfth Night with six people in San Francisco from Cal Cal Shakes. It was like their mobile unit that they bring to prisons. Um, And the twins were played by the same person, which is fine for 95% of the show, except when they meet. (laughs) (laughs) and then she had like the woman who was playing the two she had like a jacket that she would like put in one arm and then the other jacket that she would put in like the other arm and then at some point they meet each other and she hugged herself (sighs) it was like pretty yeah it worked like that part was a little bit cheesy but the rest the rest worked but I think this production it's like for the most part the doubling is pretty seamless Mm -hmm. And even the Gertrude and
2: uh, Ophelia, like, works surprisingly well. Um, We should say that, I mean, if it's not immediately clear, this Hamlet leans, really, really leans into the incest vibes. (laughs) Doesn't so much
0: lean into them as make them text.
2: Yeah, well, yeah.
0: I mean, I'm just thinking that the other thing that defines this production is the fact that it has this very, very long prologue with no dialogue Mm -hmm. which is them burying hamlet senior at the beginning and Mm -hmm. then that the reason that the stage is covered in dirt is because we literally see them cover hamlet's hamlet senior's coffin with dirt and then that grave ends up on the stage throughout and it's like a seven or eight minute prologue so then when we see them at their banquet for the wedding like you really it does actually feel like they're literally eating the funeral meats.
1: That's true. I've got to say also I thought the sound design was incredible. Yeah. Um in both you have in all of these long scenes you have such a build up of of tension, of mood, of atmosphere and it's all created. Not all there's also great light work, but amazing hmm. sound design.
0: Yeah, and like a really good modern score. I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah. It's like kind of a rock score,
1: maybe? Yeah, I guess so.
0: Um, and then like the text is significantly pared down, is the other thing. Yeah. And in German, much
1: simpler and more modern. And there's a lot of, um, like, fun uh, jokes with words that uh, that you don't have in, in the English. And you don't see in the translations because the translations are original English Shakespeare instead of reverse translations of the German translation and adaptation.
2: Which is what I had honestly hoped for, Um a, I mean I, know, I realize that a retranslation is a lot of work, but it gives a better flavor of what the actual audience is seeing
1: yeah, um it doesn't matter if it's a lot of work because all of the ones that aren't that don't need a retranslation. every single show at these theaters is being translated into English anyway and has English subtitles at the Shabuna they also sometimes do French, so they have people who would be translating it anyway, so it's not that much more work, and there are people who are paid to do it so they could do it but it's a choice that they make and um yeah I don't know who's responsible for that choice right like I don't know if it's in this case if it's Ostomaya I don't know if it's the dramaturgs um that I'm not aware of
2: I had such high hopes for this Hamlet hopes which were subsequently uh ratcheted down a little after the prologue because the prologue was so fantastic mm-hmm. or I thought anyway yeah um I agree it had this, it, it, sets, it sets the tone for the whole production. It shows each of the characters at Hamlet Sr.'s gravesite. And it shows them burying Hamlet Sr. Gertrude is this stunning blonde who's on the arm of a man that we later learn to be Polonius. Claudius is almost an afterthought to one side. This is, the whole funeral is very much Gertrude's show. Hamlet's off in the corner. He doesn't even have an umbrella when it starts raining.
1: <laughs> Which is um, just and big... there's the sprinkler hose situation, actually.
2: Yes, uh, and which is like held by one of the parties in the scene, and so it's sort of unclear whether this is being staged as a photo op. And there's this horrible, horrible black farce pantomime of the gravedigger trying to get Hamlet Senior's grave, Hamlet Senior's corpse into the grave, and it really sets the tone for the production because it's this sort of yakety sack slapstick routine at the front of the stage while Hamlet is watching his father get buried and they don't do the grave scene in the last act. So I think this was there. They moved it to the, they effectively moved it to the front, took out the dialogue and made it a black comedy slapstick routine.
1: And I will say that I think that the scene while it is, uh, I, I, I think it's both Hamlet senior's funeral and the final funeral of Ophelia. Like for me, that scene is both of those things. Um, also, because it's pretty common in German theater for Shakespeare or other classics to be cut up and reorganized. We have the to be or not to be speech at the beginning here. And so for me, that's just my interpretation of this scene, that it sort of serves the function of both of those. That, it, For me, I see it and I see both of those funerals.
0: That makes sense. It just hadn't occurred to me. I don't,
1: it's not anything right or wrong. Someone could see it and only see one. Someone could see
0: both. Um, That's just how I saw it personally. The thing I really like about the prologue is that it really sets up all the characters' relationships without any dialogue, and honestly, much better than a lot of opening scenes with dialogue do here. Like, especially if you know the text, you just watch and you're like, okay, that's Gertrude, that's Claudius, that's Polonius. Like, you pretty much know who everyone is just from how that scene is directed and if you don't know the text you can you can at least generally figure out the relationships I think although I don't know because I know the text but it just seemed like I knew who all of them were before any of them were introduced I knew oh that's Polonius that's etc.
1: I was just gonna say that
0: I think most people
1: uh most theater audiences are gonna know them story of Hamlet and productions like this rely upon that and they are not interested in doing another production of Hamlet and so I think that's something where they can say if we cut a bunch of this stuff people are still going to know and so we can put our we can heavily focus on our own interpretation.
0: Well I wonder if that's why they use these subtitles in English as just to direct Shakespeare so that if you speak English and German you can then see the comparison like that's like like you're like you're reading the score almost for uh, for an orchestra where it's like okay so that's what it was originally and this is what they've changed it to and then you can kind of do that direct comparison which obviously you can't do if you are not multilingual including German I'd be curious to see what the French translations look like I wonder if they translate from the German or if they translate from the English. That I don't know. I could find out, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a
1: lot to look at, to be trying to look at the production, listen in German, and also compare to the English yeah. subtitles.
2: <laughs> but, um, yeah. The other thing I wanted to say is, jumping off of what you said earlier, uh, Noemi, you talked about how everything is kind of cheap. Like, there's there's beer drinking, the food is crap at the wedding, it's served on paper plates, they're at this, you know, people are eating with their fingers, And it's like, the whole tone of the production is, that first scene is the only time anything classy happens in this whole production. (laughs) Everything else is portrayed as incredibly cheap and tawdry. Yeah. yeah. Um, That funeral, everybody looks sort of semi-respectable. They're all in their, you know, morning suits. And then Gertrude stands at the front of the stage, frozen-faced. Uh, almost collapses onto Polonius' arm at one point, but looks very elegant and put together. And then you see this awful slapstick routine in front of all of these people who are staring, standing motionless. And then Claudius falls down in, in front of Hamlet, basically takes a pratfall, and nobody helps him up. And this is our segue into the rest of the production, where everything gets as cheap and trashy as possible. Like... Gertrude is wearing a white, sort of like a tight white pantsuit situation and doing like a veils dance at her own wedding while Claudius is ignoring her in favor of the food.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: like yep, they really took the something is rotten in the state of Denmark as their entire guiding aesthetic.
0: Yeah, true. Well, and it's, I think one of the things that I really got out of this production was how much it has inspired other productions. Um mm. Like, I saw this really great production of Hamlet at Cal Shakes in um, in um, the East Bay of the Bay Area. And that was, like, it was set on a swimming, like, the stage had a swimming pool in it. Basically, like, an empty swimming pool that was full of detritus.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It occurred to me that that was kind of potentially
2: borrowed from this production, though I would not have known that back then. So one of the things that I did want to ask about is, you can do all of Hamlet without doing any cuts, but it's unwieldy and like kind of bad, honestly. Yeah, Um, you get
0: Kenneth Branagh's film, which no one wants to see.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody has to see it once, so that you never have to do it again. Doesn't mean you Um, want to see it, though. (laughs) That's that's fair. But one of the things that Alex, you and I talked about when we went to see that wonderful Hamlet at Stratford a couple of years ago that cut Hamlet into a family drama mm. is like what kinds of choices about what story they're choosing to tell the cuts give us.
0: Oh, I should say and that that, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that that production of Hamlet that we saw, is it's been recorded and you can actually watch it online. In Canada, oh, you really? can watch it Free on CBC Gem and in the rest of the world. I think it's on Digital Theater, has it? You can rent it on there.
2: Oh, well, then we should watch it again. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, mostly I wanted to. They cut a lot from this production and not just stuff, not just stuff where you expect to be able to get away with those cuts because the audience knows the plot. It's like they cut the entire Fortinbras sub- subplot, right? They cut all of the stuff about Fortinbras. Um, don't they, they mention
0: him at the very, very, very end? Maybe do they? I don't remember. I thought at the very end they were like, "Oh yeah, Fortinbras is coming," and I was like, "Oh, news to me. You never mentioned him yeah. before." But I don't. Who's Fortinbras?
1: I think it's kind of. I think it's kind of fine.
2: <laughs> but I've seen that done in other productions. No, no, I'm not saying that that's like a bad thing. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying that like, what are the cuts telling us about the the kind of story they're choosing to tell here? Because this isn't really a political drama, the way some Hamlets are.
1: No. This is an experience. This is about rock and roll and blood and dirt and not having Sophomoric
2: theater projects by university students.
1: It's it's yeah, and it's um it's not yeah, it's funny. It's supposed to be funny. It was a lot funnier when I saw it a year ago. There's a lot of bits that have been developed a lot more. Um, it's about playing. It's just about having fun on stage and really playing. Like, Hamlet playing the madness is so <laughs> big, right? He's um, <laughs> making weird noises, He's and, and he's saying ficken all the time, fuck, and spitting. Like, it's super, super clear. Like, they're playing. It is just... It's, it's playful and disgusting and 100% committed, and it's happening. Something is happening. It's not boring. You're not just watching a boring play on the other side of the fourth wall.
2: His Hamlet is particularly misogynistic. Yes. Yes. So, like, when they had Gertrude and Ophelia played by the same actor, at first I was a little bit suspicious of that choice because it suggests like leaning into the incest vibes in a way that I find a little pat and a little annoying. Ultimately, I think it worked because it does a really good job of, of, of sort of dramatizing the Madonna horror complex that Hamlet has going on and his, his like terror of female sexuality. But how, Noemi, you had some thoughts on this in the context of the scenes between Hamlet and Ophelia. How much do we think this play is lampshading Hamlet's misogyny and how much is it participating in it
1: I think it's participating quite a bit and I don't know why Uh, I don't know like all of the things I said about how they're playing and they're getting into it and it's not boring and all of that I love that that's the reason that I moved to Germany because I think the theater here is so exciting Mm. you can do all of that and still not have sexual assault happen in front of my eyes Mm -hmm. and um and i just really uh you know hamlet is is assaulting ophelia on the grave of his father covering her in dirt and spitting on her Mm -hmm. grabbing her it's
2: pulling her clothes off and the camera leers at her body in a way that's really uncomfortable
1: yeah, and I don't know who did the direction of the of the recording, because obviously that's not happening on stage, but I don't understand why that's necessary. So much of this Hamlet feels exciting because it's doing something in a new way, and this is not new. Mm-hmm. It is not telling me anything new. It is reproducing assault to a much bigger, de- like a much greater degree than has happened in other productions, and I just don't know why. I also think that if you want to show physical altercation, it can be more about power and less rapey.
0: Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: and, and it just it wasn't here. It was pretty rapey. And uh, even later when Laertes was hugging his dead sister... He, like, put his whole entire body on top of hers. That was so
0: creepy.
2: Yeah, they lean into the incest vibes in every potential way.
1: Yeah, and, like, fine, whatever. I'm not, you know, because I think I like this production more than you guys, which could also have to do with the fact that I've seen it live. Mm. But that does nothing for me, and I don't know why it would do anything for anyone. It doesn't do anything for the play, and it doesn't bring us any farther and sure anyone listening to this can say that I'm just a boring old feminist but like you know I I just I don't get what it's adding
0: um no I totally agree with you and I think something that watching these two productions back-to-back really brought out for me is they're both pretty misogynistic takes and the productions have a weird relationship to misogyny because I I think they both are participating in the misogyny. And yet, and part of that, too, is the fact that there's like one woman.
2: There's only one yeah. female actor in both. Uh, no, in, in Richard III, there's a couple of ladies. I think there's oh, okay. two. Yeah, and but there's... in Hamlet, there's only one female actor. And when she's Gertrude, the production is judging her so harshly. Who's the
0: second in Richard III? There's the
2: woman playing Lady Anne. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who only appears in like two scenes because Uh, they, which I thought was like a weird choice for her character, but that's fine. um, And Elizabeth.
0: Because the other thing is that the the women in those productions are really, really strong. Those actors, Mm -hmm. I think, are really strong. And in some ways, they're the most interesting part of that, of the production and i don't so i'm a little bit puzzled like is that are they so good in part because thomas ostermeyer is actually interested in developing the women despite the fact that, no <laughs> no I mean, he's giving me this look no, i was uh, like no nope. or is it just that they're sort of transcending his misogynistic tendencies or is it just that lars Eidinger is misogynistic and so that's how what happens in his improvisations i could see that um or is it also like ostermeyer's just I don't know. It's it's a bit confusing to me what's going on. Like, there's obviously a woman problem, but I don't know how to diagnose it. I
1: don't know that you know. You can say I think it probably comes from a lot of factors. That at the end of the day, you're doing both of these plays centered around the star actor of the Shabunna Ensemble, Laz, and he is. I don't know, 80% of both plays, honestly, um, if not 100%. Um, and well, it's, they're directed by um, by Thomas Ostermeyer, who's a man who's the artistic director of the Schaubühne, which is also a theater where plays are primarily directed by men, overwhelmingly. If you just present all of those facts, which yeah. are just facts, and then I see a scene like the scenes that I saw, then mm-hmm. um, then I don't understand why I would give the benefit of the doubt that this is yep. being done mm-hmm. in a nuanced way. I oh, no,
0: think, I don't think it is.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think, and I don't think that, like, I think, um, I need to look up the name of the female actress in Hamlet. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: It's kind mm-hmm. of sad
1: that I don't know that, um, you know, because everyone's just talking about him. But I will look it up. And anyway, um, she's incredible. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, the women who are in Richard III are incredible as well. And why not showcase more of your talented female actresses then?
0: Mm-hmm. Or, and also, why not let them play male roles? Like, yes. in
2: Richard III, there's this... I mean, he's a very good Margaret, but why did they cast... Mm. The best Margaret I've ever seen, actually. <laughs> Except maybe Vanessa Redgrave, and that's like a maybe. Margaret is usually a dumb character.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's partly how the scene is... I think it's directed very well, that scene. Um, True.
2: It's the best use of Margaret I've ever seen, let me put it that way.
0: Yeah, that's fair. But it is, like, kind of striking when you're like, you have other... Like, you have what... Like, what's Lady Anne doing?
2: (laughs) Yeah. For most of the play, she's just... She's there for literally two scenes in the play. One, her big scene, which is such a big deal, and it's such a big scene for Richard's character as well. And then Mm -hmm. she just disappears.
1: Yeah, she does.
2: It's a wasted opportunity to do what the Ian mckellen Richard the 3rd did. Every Richard the 3rd suffers in comparison in in my books to the Ian mckellen Richard the 3rd, is so superlative. But in in that Richard the 3rd, Lady Anne is is present throughout the she's present in scenes with no dialogue, and you still have a sense of her character and you still have a sense you get a sense of Richard himself through how the two of them interact and it is an opportunity that was wasted here
1: yeah um from what i'm seeing it looks like the woman who played lady anne in richard iii is now the woman who plays gertrude and ophelia in hamlet currently in their repertoire but I don't mm. think that she originally was in the premiere 12 years ago and mm. in the recorded version I'm pretty sure mm. so I'm still searching for her name right it wasn't the same one
2: no different woman yeah
1: but so that means that makes sense so that means the woman who I saw playing the roles a year ago was the one who plays Lady Anne I believe so yeah I don't I don't really know why that was necessary, and I think that in some ways, both of these plays have kind of a women problem. There's a, a quote in the um, scene between Ophelia and Hamlet, the get thee to a nunnery scene, um, mm. where I believe I just wrote down the quote: "Hast du sonst noch was zu menstruieren?" Um, and I think it might be Hamlet asking Ophelia, or it might be someone else, um, some some male character could also be speaking to another one, and he's saying, like, do you still have something that you're trying to think over or say? But he's using the, wor- the verb basically to menstruate on, um, which is, like, kind of funny, but then if you just put stuff like that in combination with all of it, it's kind yeah. of like, okay...
0: Yeah, Yeah. the gender stuff in these productions feels really regressive.
1: Which is funny, because everything else doesn't, so why is that necessary? Yeah. Yeah. I've got to say, I thought it was pretty funny how this whole play is... Modern and all over the place, and all sorts of insane stuff happening, and a lot of dirt eating and video. And then at the end, <laughs> the actors are like, Yes, we have trained in fencing, and we will do our fencing. Here is the fencing scene. <laughs> I learned this in the, <laughs> the Schauspielschule, and I will auch meine benutzen. I'm just like, Seriously? This is so. I mean, I don't care, but it, it's hilarious. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> When you put it that way, yep. It felt so ridiculous that they started fencing. I was like, seriously? Like, Hamlet was DJing earlier. He was like, part of people in the house. And now he's fencing? This DJ knows how to fence? I know a lot of DJs. They don't fence.
0: I mean, I did think that they they were very good at stage fighting. I think that's maybe the best Hamlet's uh, fencing scene I've seen. But I agree that it is incongruous.
1: <laughs> I don't care because I think it's funny, but it's very it's very funny. It's like and it's like, okay, yes, this is the part where we are the actors who have learned this skill and we will show it off. <laughs> okay. Um I also gotta say a lot of the bits were funnier and longer in person. The play's probably a lot longer. 10 years later <laughs> from the recording mm. to when I saw it um mm. like there's this part where Hamlet's talking about if like a crab you could go backwards yes mm-hmm. to Polonius and I don't even think that was a bit in the recording version and I'm pretty sure I remember that being like a three minute long bit where Oh, it was a year ago that I saw it. But either Hamlet himself or Hamlet is forcing Polonius to, like... I think it's Hamlet himself who's, like, doing this whole, like, sort of miming of, like, life backwards. And it's super, you know, and it's super funny and super well done. Really, something you have to see in person, something that wasn't there 12 years ago and is happening now. Um, And so you miss that sort of stuff in both this recording and also in the beginning of most runs, I guess, of plays like this. I also think the DJing part was longer.
2: The DJing part was pretty great.
1: (laughs) It was pretty funny. I will say I really appreciate it when Ophelia being mad isn't just some, like, happy, weird singing stuff. Like, a lot Mm -hmm. of productions, like, Ophelia's madness is her just being like, what are the words? I should know this. But, you know, where she's, she's singing and she's like, and she's just like, ah, oh, this is what being crazy looks like. I'm just singing, and I really appreciate that it wasn't like that in this production, you know. Mm-hmm. She's just kind of saying stuff. She's just—it's—it's it's very different. The actress is really great, and um, and then she even is like, she drowns later, or is maybe murdered later, but she also has a scene where she's just in the background, sort of pouring water on herself, and um. Uh-huh. I don't know, I think that stuff is well done and visually strong.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things I liked about the um, Ophelia-Gertrude doubling is the sense of sort of cycles. Like, it's an interesting pairing with Hamlet and Claudius because now you're sort of seeing a similar kind of cycle with the women and that Hamlet sort of can't tell the difference between them in a way. Um, in how he interacts with them. Um, And then the fact that the stage is kind of a grave, it sort of draws attention to this whole idea of, you know, death and... not reincarnation, but, like, new versions of the same old thing.
1: All the world's a grave. (laughs) (laughs) You also have moments where the audience, because there is this live camera... Which, um, so you even have parts where the audience, for example, in your play within a play, The Mousetrap, the audience is being filmed, uh, partially, you know, Um, he's uh, panning the camera across the front rows of the audience and you have these ways in which that feels really different when you're seeing it live than when you're watching a recording, not to mention you have video content which is being projected the majority of the play, but in the recording, you're not really knowing that because any time you're on a close-up shot of the actual actor in the video, then you miss the fact that in the stage production there is also a video.
2: Can we just do a very basic did we like this Hamlet, did we not like this Hamlet, why? One sentence elevator pitch review. Because I'm having a hard time pinning down where you guys fell on this. How about you start, Emma? It started really, really strong. And then it lost me toward the middle of the play. And I did not like how the last scene, the the final scene was handled. It didn't feel coherent to me. The, the, I loved the staging, like the set, the having the grave at the front of the stage at all times means it doesn't really matter that, in many ways, they cut—they dramatically cut down the role of the ghost because Hamlet Senior is always there. Um, he's like—he's his he's grave is at the front of the stage. Everybody, everything that happens in this production is in the wake of that death. Um, but at times, at times, Hamlet's madness seemed less like a performance of. Hamlet and more like a showcase for a showboating actor yeah I didn't feel like I got a handle on what this Hamlet was doing or what he was about and by the end of the play I felt especially with the role with their Gertrude I was not sure how what direction the play wanted me to take in her in viewing her character it didn't feel coherent to me
0: yeah I mean I agree with everything you said um I think for me, I feel like there were a lot of really interesting production choices, and um, I can see how that's affected a lot of other performances. Sorry, our other productions I've seen, like even thinking about the Richard III that MAU and I saw at the Almeida with mm-hmm. um, Ray Fiennes, like in that the stage was sort of like made out of glass, so you could sort of see the grave that he was going to eventually fall into at the end. Um, throughout and I would be shocked if that wasn't inspired by this and even like this Toronto director who is now working at Stratford Ted Witzel I've seen him do various classic theater productions just with pool noodles and at first Mm. I thought he was just very strange and now I think he just went to Berlin (laughs) 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 <laughs> and I was like, "Sure, pool noodles are going to be my thing." My signature take on Shakespeare. Yeah, um, I apparently that he like he did a uh, Titus, and I think there was there were a lot of pool noodles Ooh. in it. Um, I didn't see that one. I've seen other stuff, but um, I hope there's a recording somewhere. No, because this was like student theater at U of T. Ooh. Um, anyway. <laughs> Where is I going with this? Um, so I feel like there were a lot of interesting choices that made me think, oh, that's an interesting idea. That's an interesting take on this particular part of this, of, of like, of Hamlet, but I'm not sure it all came together. And there are a lot of things in it that are problematic. Um, and maybe some of that is like 2008 choices that haven't aged well. And some of it also, it was not palatable back then like i uh, after we discuss this at some point i want to talk about the fat suit and what the hell mm-hmm. yeah
2: um really leaning into a lot of broad stereotypes here yeah
1: yeah that's true well that's a uh <laughs> weird time to share that I think that I have a much more positive view of this production than either of you. <laughs> you know, to just jump on all of the, to just jump off mm-hmm. of all the problematic stuff in it. Okay, basically my take is, first of all, that I'm way more used to this style of theater because I've been living in Germany for almost four years. Um, mm-hmm. So I know that the last times that we talked about productions, it was a while ago, and I've recently even been in London and... When I'm seeing plays that are, like, people are sitting and it's more realistic and we're examining the psychology of the characters or it's just, or not even necessarily the psychology, but it's so much about the language and people in British accents doing things. <laughs> and, and honestly, I get pretty bored by a lot of that theater these days uh, because for me, it is way more exciting to see Someone's take on a production of Hamlet, a total adaptation, than to watch just another Hamlet. And that's what I appreciate. Here, I think that the way that they chose to rearrange things was interesting. I like the fact that I didn't necessarily have to know whose funeral it was at the beginning or that it could seem like two people's funerals. I personally really like a messy aesthetic. I thought the play was absolutely disgusting, and I don't say that in a negative way. For me, that's enjoyable. I think that the video aspects, the sound design, the dirt, the water, the blood, the beer, everything visually is really compelling. And I don't think that you're, like, seeing Hamlet. I think you're seeing Lars as Hamlet. And I do think that a lot of it is a one-man show and it's a lot about the relationship between him and the audience and then that part has grown much more in the decades since this recording um but i know that that's what i'm going to see you know i'm not trying to see some faithful reproduction of hamlet i've seen a million hamlets i know exactly what happens and i don't need all of those parts and i don't care you know like what's cut um so overall i think That it's really visually compelling and there are some really interesting choices. But I do think that I just, I'm rolling my eyes hard at the misogyny and I don't know why it's there and why it's necessary. I don't know. I don't like, think that, I don't think that it means that these people are telling me this is how things should be um, this is how, like, it's reproducing assault, but not in a way that is condoning it, um, it's very clear to me that it's heightened, and it's happening within this theater form, where everything is ridiculous, and absurd, and crazy, and they're really playing, and the players are going into it, and I absolutely believe that a female actress is, like, totally fine with what's happening and I really don't think they're condoning it but I just don't know why it's necessary so that for me is definitely a con but other than um other than that and obviously we'll delve more into sort of the weird bat suit and body stuff um I don't know what they're trying to say there other than that though I think the production I love the modern language so much you know when at the beginning the play within a play the mousetrap they didn't translate this i think at all maybe but you know um hamlet's making jokes like oh es gibt kein nach Einlass." i mean so there's no late seating so like get in here you know and and it's just it's fun and it's modern and it's alive and it's atmospheric and it's really creating a whole world and that rim around me in a way that I've never seen before and that's what I want to see from plays especially if you're doing an adaptation of a classic that I've seen a hundred times and I do think they accomplish that
2: I mean you're none of what I don't disagree with most of what with the vast majority of what you've said no, I, mean. I don't disagree um, with
1: the vast majority of what you said either
2: <laughs> um, like you're you're totally right that this production design is amazing and immersive Um, but as you were just as you were talking about what you liked about the play, it really made me think about the production of Richard III which I thought worked really well Um, and all of those things that were virtues of this production of Hamlet were, worked for me in Richard III and didn't work for me in Hamlet So Hamlet in a fat suit Question mark. What's the deal? So my first thought was that it was designed to make Hamlet deliberately unattractive and to play into a lot of stereotypes. Because, I mean, just like as you were talking about earlier, Noemi, everything about this production is gross and designed to provoke some kind of visceral disgust reaction. Whether it's because these people are displaying a total lack of taste Or whether it's because things in this production are literally disgusting, like pouring wine and milk into a plastic bag which is wrapped around a person. Um, Yeah, this production was, like, really very, very good about triggering my disgust reflex. And as we discussed at the beginning of this conversation, many people, including myself, find Lars Eidinger quite handsome. And it's possible that the fat suit was designed to play down that because they don't want this, you know, broody, semi-attractive Hamlet. They want this guy who's like, at least in that sense, in tune with the rest of the production. Um, And I thought it was kind of gross and playing into a lot of negative stereotypes that I didn't really like.
1: Yeah, that's super fucked up. Um, I don't know if that's the point. seems like it could be and also... It also seems like uh, even if that's not what they intended, that's how things come across. So you have to be aware of that, and to imply that like fat people aren't attractive. Oh, this person's wearing a fat suit. Oh, this person's gross now. Um, this is very uninteresting to me. And maybe there is some brilliant meanings behind it, but um, that I don't care because. If this is how people are interpreting it, then I don't care if you think you had a different reason that's much better, which I don't think they probably did
0: yeah, and also,
2: I mean, he takes the fat suit off to play Gertrude in the dump show, yeah which it's not clear to me it's not clear to me whether we're supposed to see that as Hamlet oh yeah, yeah, yeah I because think because so. precisely because he removes the fat suit, you know
1: well, that's the whole thing that um. That I think, like, what we're seeing the whole time is, like, Lars as Hamlet, and I don't think that he's not Hamlet. Like, I guess that literally means that this Hamlet is choosing to wear a fat suit and choosing to take it off for that scene. If you're looking into a very, very literal thing, but I think that German theater breaks the fourth wall a lot, and I do think that it is supposed to be seen as Hamlet.
0: Um, I mean, I know you were you felt that Lars Eidinger was kind of showboating, and I guess I agree with that. And I think part of because I had seen Richard the Third before I saw Hamlet because I saw Richard the Third live a couple years ago. When I saw his Hamlet, it felt more to me like, "Oh, okay, this is like your training ground for Richard the Third because I feel like that showboating works a lot better for Richard the Third because Richard mm-hmm. is a sort of show showman. Butt. Um, He's a showboat. Like, that's his whole deal. So, in that sense, the sort of meta thing is working with the, like, the casting. With the text, as opposed to against it. Yeah.
1: And I will just say that the meta thing and the showboating um, is much more common in German theater in general, and breaking the fourth ball and being meta and doing that is happening with most, I don't know, maybe that's an exaggeration, but I'll just say it, with most major roles Mm. and most plays. So... Uh, I can see how you guys see that it fits the text better, but that's why it didn't bother me, and Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. I think maybe it is the fact that I didn't get a real read on Hamlet as Hamlet, and Mm -hmm. I, I felt more like what you said, Noemi, which is that it's Lars Eidinger as Hamlet. And I guess it makes more sense, like I guess I like the idea of Lars Eidinger as Richard III more than I like the idea of Lars Eidinger as Hamlet. That makes sense.
2: Richard the third. Oh no. What should? What, okay.
0: what should we say about Richard the Do you want
2: to describe this production, Ma? It's a modern dress production in which Lars Eidinger plays Richard with a with a significant hunchback. That's accomplished by way of padding, padding that he doesn't remove and which becomes quite obvious in several scenes. There's no attempt to make this a realistic or a a, sort of like a photorealistic disability. The staging has several levels. Most of the action takes place on the ground level, but there's an upper level sort of balcony situation where some of the characters can look literally look down on everybody else. Margaret. And the sound design is is really, really good. There's this sort of this is gonna make me sound like an old. Like a like a rock soundtrack. There's a there's someone doing live drumming, it's fantastic. What else is important about this production to to situate it for people who haven't had the opportunity to see it? Okay, so
0: dangling <laughs> from the middle of the stage is a mic. Mm-hmm. And Lars Eidinger as Richard will is the only one who actually speaks into this mic and he grabs onto it and like will whisper into it so that he can kind of speak intimately to the audience from the stage.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's sort of our cue that he's speaking to us as an audience rather than speaking to everybody else in scene until the second half of the play when it appears to be when he appears to be speaking to us as an audience in a theater and also as a literal audience when he's a king.
0: And the the mic is kind of a complicated contraption because there's also a, a camera in there, which I don't think we see him use until the second half. I'm not sure. Okay. I think that might be true,
1: but sometimes it's hard to tell when you're yeah. watching a recording of a production too. Yeah.
0: That sounds pretty much right. Anyway. And the mic is attached with some kind of, like, trapeze wire, I guess, because he swings on that wire in the middle of the show and then ends up hung by it at the end. Yes. In what the most
1: epic closing shot that is just completely amazing. And (laughs) I will just... You know he's he's being pulled up and he's sort of hung in the middle of the air and I'm just like okay like. that's a it's it's a yes. mic drop it's not quite a <laughs> mic drop it's more like a mic being lifted it's but a mic it is lift. a mic drop it is beautiful it is the incredible perfect image for this play yeah. and I will say that closing image is a fucking gift it mm-hmm. is so great mm-hmm. I hope we're allowed to say fuck on this podcast oh
2: yeah too late we
0: didn't say whatever you want okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so because I saw it live a few years after this was recorded and in the version that I saw, there was a lot more of him walking up and down the aisles of the, the theater and talking to audience members in English. There was a lot of ad-libbing, although some of it I realize now I guess was scripted because he also said the like the devil does not wear Prada um, was also a lot. That line I
2: was like Guys, you were like a decade too late for this reference. Please move on. Like, oh, for
1: sure. Oh, I feel like there are constantly outdated references, uh, but it's part of the charm.
0: (laughs) And I think for me, the biggest difference between what I, the production that, or I don't know what to call it, the version I saw, I guess, of this Mm -hmm. production and the recording is there was a. A whole lot of audience interaction in the first half of the play, and then mm-hmm. as soon as Richard ascends to power, he starts ignoring us. Oh, um, and I think that works really, really well because that's when we start judging him, and we we get off the "I don't care, Richard, you can do whatever you want"
2: train. Mm-hmm. And and in some in some ways, like. Just jumping off something you said earlier about Lars Eidinger and his performance of Hamlet, in some ways, his personal charisma works particularly well for Richard, because Mm. in the first half, we're like, oh, this guy, he's great. He's really funny. I don't really care if he's a villain. And then as soon as he starts ignoring us, the audience, we we turn on him the way everybody else does.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know? Yeah. I think that the combination of those two things makes it a kind of very cabaret-ish version of Richard III like it really presents him as an mc and then mm. and you really feel implicated in his murdering <laughs> they're making interesting faces at me i think that the the other key thing is that the two princelings are puppets
2: rather than people mhm which while effective was also a bit on the nose i just
1: feel like people anything that you guys say i'm just like i feel like that's really normal here i've seen a lot of puppets oh really (laughs) a lot of blood yeah i feel like there's a lot of puppets a lot of object work
0: i just feel (laughs) like by choosing to make the princelings puppets as opposed to having lots of puppets say it kind Mm -hmm. of like that's that's the worst thing the richard does is he kills
2: children Mm-hmm. And then now, yeah. because
0: he, they're puppets, it sort of, it helps let him off
2: the hook, I think, a little. Yeah, it, it diminishes the gravity of that, of that horror.
1: Yeah, but uh, do you think that this is, like, a grave production? Like, I think it's really, um, like, I, I think, well, I'll be interested to hear, you said uh, at the very, very beginning that you thought it was very effective, and I said I wanted to hear what you think was effective. Mm -hmm. Um, like what it affected um I guess and and I guess for me I I mean I'm not disagreeing I'm just curious Mm -hmm. but for me I don't think that the point of this production at any point is to be like oh I feel the gravity of this situation (laughs) so uh, if if they would have all of a sudden like brought on like two small young child actors which yeah yeah they would never do because they tour this production internationally Mm -hmm. yes um then, and it would have been, like, really serious, and I would have been like, oh, shit, he's, like, really a bad guy. For me, it wouldn't have made sense with the tone of the rest of the production. Mm-hmm. Because I do think that he seduces us and is a villain, but that it remains theatrical, and it never, at no point, and I'm like, oh, well, I'm, like, rooting for actual Hitler right now. <laughs> like, I never feel like it gets that, like, yeah. serious, real, or grave. Like, it's very much about the theatrical mm-hmm. villain seduction. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Which I wonder is maybe why this production works better for me than, than Hamlet does. Because he's sort of doing that in both. And I guess I feel like that's just Richard. So I think it works so well. Whereas in Hamlet, I kind of think it takes away. Maybe because I think of Hamlet as like a serious play. Whereas I think of Richard <laughs> as a... <laughs> I <It was like laughs> just fun. watch him kill them. Yes.
2: Well, okay. So going back to Hamlet for just a sec. Alex, you and I had the same English teacher in high school, and when Ms. Watson taught us Hamlet, I don't know if she did this in your class. No, because I didn't
0: have her for Hamlet.
2: That is, like, you missed out on some great impressions of characters. Um, (laughs) But Ms. Watson was, like, she did, like, a pantomime of the various theatrical subtypes of Hamlet. There's the melancholy prince Hamlet. There's the Sweet Gentleman Hamlet, and there's also Dirtbag Teenage Hamlet. Seems, mother, I know not seems. And this Hamlet was very Dirtbag Teenage Hamlet to me, if you just moved him to his early 20s and like made him an aspiring director. Mm. Whereas Richard III is probably my favorite Shakespeare. It jockeys for position occasionally with Richard II, which is like a boutique choice, I know but like this Richard felt very fresh to me sometimes in ways that I found uncomfortable as a fan of the play and as an unabashed Richard partisan because the second half of this production of Richard III is really invested in making you revolted by all the things you used to love about Richard he he turns from a man who can strip himself naked to seduce Lady Anne, who can, who can literally say, like, take me for what I am, disability and all. Like, my this form that everybody else thinks is monstrous is, I give it to you and, and you will want it by the end of this conversation. He turns from that into a man who wears a corset and underwear to try to disguise his hunchback. Mm. And don't think I wasn't at least a little bit bothered by the inherent misogyny in that image. Part Mm. of what part of the reaction that this is supposed to engender is, Oh my God, a man in a corset, how vile, you know, where you're like, come on guys, this isn't the 1920s, but there's something very, everything we have come to love about Richard is what is essential to Richard. And then as soon as he becomes King, he starts betraying all those aspects of himself And I'd never seen Richard portrayed that way before. I'd only ever seen Richard portrayed as when he becomes king is when he feels free to be true, who he truly is to everybody, Mm. including us and including all the other characters.
0: Hmm. So it's like a reversal, is
2: that? Precisely. Like he has that um, at the end of his, at the end of his um, interaction with Lady Anne. I can't remember the precise wording, but he says, since I am in favor with myself, as in, now that Anne has approved of my naked form, mm. now that ha- now that Lady Anne has been seduced by me, which he seems almost surprised by in this production, which I found kind of interesting, because it's quite a daring move if you don't think you're going to win. He says, you know, I'm going to go to Taylor's to fashion me some beautiful clothing for my form. Mm. And in every other Richard I've seen, that's a little bit sarcastic, right? That's a little bit a way of saying... Since she thinks I'm a marvelous, handsome man, I'm going to do precisely what I've always done. Mm. Whereas in this production, literally, he goes from wearing T-shirts to wearing well-tailored suits Mm -hmm. immediately after that interaction with Lady Anne. And Richard looks good in those well-tailored suits. And then we see another change as soon as he becomes king, which is he tries to straighten his back.
0: Mm.
2: And he tries to pull himself away from the person who we came to feel affection for because he was honest with us, and the person who seduced Lady Anne because he was honest with her in his own peculiar way.
1: Hmm. It's interesting, though, because I feel like I just see the corset as something that is almost like a brace in the way Mm -hmm. of straightening up, Mm -hmm. but I see it as another way of just being sort of like now he's sort of like forced into this role that once he got it, it's not actually what he wanted. He can't be as free Mm -hmm. as he was before. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, maybe I've seen too many men in corsets, (laughs) but it doesn't come across to me as anything that's being presented as like, oh, because of that and because he's wearing a corset, it's vile or whatever. So that's really interesting.
2: Look at the the way he he moves, right? He He doesn't move like a man who's comfortable in this garment.
1: Yeah, but I don't think it's, for me, it doesn't, it didn't, uh, and I, I, I just, mm-hmm. maybe I saw it differently or didn't consider it, mm-hmm. for me, that w- didn't make me think that, um, that that is, it didn't come across as misogynistic, if anything, mm-hmm. it came across as showing how this garment that women are often forced to wear also, mm-hmm. like, forces people into a box, and it mm-hmm. didn't seem to me that the course, it was connected with femininity or or women at all, but was connected with being strapped in by the expectations of society. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I think I just saw it really differently. Mm -hmm. Now I'm like, maybe I was wrong. Especially because I generally see misogyny everywhere.
0: uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I kind of read it the the way Noemi did, but I think (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily disagree with you, Emma. I guess just to me... Mm -hmm. Um, It was more related to disability than it was to gender. Um, Mm
2: -hmm. Well, okay. I don't think those things are cleanly extricable in this production of Richard. And this production of Richard actually draws some interesting elements out of the text that I hadn't really paid a lot of attention to before. Like the thing that Noemi was talking about earlier about how the Shakespeare describes in... In Buckingham's performative speech before the mayor of London, he describes Richard's tenderness as effeminate, literally effeminate, when, of course, we, the audience, know that Richard is anything but. And um, going back to what you said about the corset not striking you as feminine, Noemi, I... I see what you're saying about kingship being a stricture that was a... Something that was more restricting than liberating for Richard and something that was not what he wanted. But there are a lot of... There are other ways to depict that. There's a sort of... There's an almost medical back brace, right? Or there's, like, there... In 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 the old 19th century, children who didn't have good posture were strapped to posture boards. So there's there's a lot of ways of... Yeah, it's totally weird... Um, there's a lot of ways of illustrating the same idea without going immediately for a garment that is so that is read as so inherently feminine as the corset and that was a very like it was like that was a very feminine corset I own a couple that was like the ones I wear like and it was it was diving for this particular old-fashioned kind of ooky idea of the grotesque as like a man wearing wearing traditionally women's clothing oh, isn't that grotesque? Well, not really. And the fact that that's the image that you seem to be really pushing for here, that you seem to be really pushing this, this strangely gendered idea, makes me uncomfortable. Anyway,
0: How do you read that in contrast with the fact that he strips down and we, like, see his manhood? Yeah, okay. I, so, I didn't mean, I know, it's like really gross, I just... Manhood,
2: to... Alexandra, No, the God faces bless. that
1: I were making had nothing to do with your phrasing, and <laughs> had everything to do with me having to see his penis. Oh, yeah. Okay,
2: Which, all dick jokes aside, <laughs> as soon as he started taking his clothes off, I was like, interesting, never seen <laughs> this scene done this way, alright. Um, but it was actually... It was really effective. The scene between Richard and Lady Anne is incredibly challenging to stage because if you just read the text, it doesn't seem particularly persuasive, Mm -hmm. right? He's talking to this woman over the body of her husband. He murdered her husband. He murdered her father-in-law. She's grieving. And he, the guy who killed them, is like, I did it all for love of you. So you're going to marry me now? Like, this is not a good case. And so it, like... I've seen a lot of good productions of Richard that flub that scene because it's just really tough. Mm -hmm. It doesn't help the production very much. I thought this was really effective. Mm -hmm. I thought this was almost as effective as the Ian McKellen, Kristen Scott Thomas scene. Mm -hmm. Because he feels, he convincingly feigns vulnerability in a way that I've, I've never seen another Richard do. And it's not simply because he's nude, but it's partly because he's nude in the sense that in the first scene, in the, in the opening moments of the play, much is made of Richard's physical, th- how different he is physically from everybody else. Um, this production really leans into that in the opening scenes. Richard's dressed differently. He has this bizarre head brace, which never makes another appearance. He, like, his hunchback is particularly pronounced compared to all of these lithe young things cavorting in their underwear. And so for him to come before Lady Anne and show himself for the disability that everybody else judges him for is a moment of, it's a certain kind of frankness, even though he's lying to her. And that, like, that you could understand why someone would be utterly confounded and disarmed by that. To the point of, saying things that they might later regret.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I, um,
0: I agree. I think that yeah. I, I agree that it works for all those reasons. I guess I'm just wondering that like the fact that it pulls, makes him nude. So mm-hmm. there's no question of his that genitalia. Is a if that
2: affects your reading of the corset. No. In fact, it makes me a little bit more annoyed. Like it's a specific take on Richard and not an unreasonable one, to show him as a man trying to get away from his, his disability, right? To show him as a man who's been, ha- had this deformity cast upon him and who, as soon as he can, tries to get away from it once he's king. Don't love that, can see where you get that in the text. But if you show him as very firmly male, very firmly a man, and in, in a weird way, it isn't a sexual seduction of Lady Anne, right? It's not like the disgraced actor, there we go, it's not like the Kevin Spacey version of Richard III that he did at the Old Vic, where he and Lady Anne were literally rolling around on the floor together, which was very sexual and, frankly, didn't really carry off well.
1: I agree that that scene was very, was effective. Um... But I mm. I know that you just said that you want to give someone else room to talk, but I, I guess when you say it was effective, if you've added that Richard III is one of your absolute favorite plays, then I assume you just mean it was like an effective production of this play. Or what was for you overall when you come away from this production for both of you? What did you feel like was effective or what did it create? What world did it create or what did it create in you?
0: I'm going to talk about the live production I saw because that was different. I think to me, it, what, what was really exciting about it was that was because he went off book and the, the fact that it was in translation made that possible. Um, mm-hmm. And it sort of meant that you never knew what Richard was going to do at any point in time. Um, mm-hmm. and it was very destabilizing, and you it was very exciting, and you just kind of were on the edge of your seat watching this Richard going, all right, what's he going to do next, and what's the next adventure going to be? I've seen so many Richard the Thirds that sometimes you watch productions, especially if they're not particularly good, and you're just sort of checking off in your head, okay, like, we killed Clarence, okay, there goes mm-hmm. Hastings,
2: okay. And mm-hmm. you just kind of this like... This is a really good Hastings, though.
0: Uh, yeah, it was, um but you're, you're just sort of like checking off and you're like, okay, I know where I am and all right, he's going to woo the lady in and like, like you just sort of know what's, what's happening and you're just waiting for them kind of to do the play and you've got ideas, you know, there might be new ideas along the way, but there's a certain way where, I mean, yes, it's scripted, um, but this just sort of like a felt like a jolt of energy into, I mean, into a a production that really benefits from that for i mean i i understand having talked to you about this that, like that you know the fourth wall breaking is a very common thing in german theater but i guess given that this is already a a play that does that i thought that this was such a brilliant way of sort of making it modern and relevant was to add these ad-libs that it just felt very richer to me and I, I've heard a lot of people talk about how they find Lars Eidinger's performance is like, dangerous. And I'm not sure that I agree with that. But I did find it sort of like I just didn't know what was going to I felt like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen because they're going off book. And so mm-hmm. to what degree were they going to go off book? I didn't know. And that was kind of exciting. I
1: agree with you. And I think that's probably why I like Hamlet more than either of you. Because I saw it live and there was way more of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that these things benefit from that. And that's a whole other conversation about what it is to show a video recording of a piece of theater, especially when it's this kind and when there is so much about improvisations with the audience. And, um, and I'm guessing that that's sort of exactly the reason why we're hearing this difference and why it's so starkly aligned with who's seen the live productions and who's not, and why I preferred Hamlet, and then also having preferred Hamlet, and then watching Richard not live, and I saw Hamlet live, why I don't prefer it, because it wasn't as surrounding around me and visceral, although, of course, I could tell that, I mean, the set design was nice. It wasn't as... Like, I really loved The Dirt. Um, and so this, you know, it was, it was fine. This set was pretty boring, but that's fine. But the music was great, and mm-hmm. the mic was great, and the video recordings. And I would love to have seen a production where I was in the audience and where there was more of that interaction, I think it would have really livened it up for me.
0: Yeah, I, um, I totally agree, because when I was watching the recording, I was kind of like, this is a lot less fun than what I remember seeing. Like, I was laughing and having the time all my life when I saw it live. And part of that yeah. is also the, the cutting and the sort of the degree to which Lysa has a huge amount of charisma. Like, you're just watching him, even when there's other stuff going on, and that feels very, like, Richard. And then maybe you lose something of that in the recording of Hamlet, because, like, I often felt like, does this Hamlet production even care about Hamlet? But, like, maybe if you see it live, just the fact that he's on stage and you have the option to look at him changes things because i think not being able to see him all the time in richard the third and the recording you feel a little bit less like he's kind of your guide and your mc because sometimes he's sort of off stage and he's not the center of attention but like when you're watching it live you have been conditioned for him to be the center of attention
1: yeah when you're watching hamlet you know he'll like he'll send he'll like send off Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and be like, I have to do a monologue now, like, you guys go. And Mm -hmm. he's so much the puppet master. And that's the thing is, though, I think he does a really, really, really similar thing in both of these plays. Yeah. And I saw one of them live first. And so for me, watching Richard III, I was like, okay, Laz is doing his thing. Yeah. Cool. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Margaret, but I'm like, oh, cool, she's being played by a dude. Great. Why? (laughs) There's so many amazing actresses in this ensemble and then you know uh sound design amazing loved it but then um he does this rap uh richard from like Tyler the Creator and like of course he still says the n word because this is germany and no one is woke about it and i just had to roll my eyes and i don't know um and so and then I was like, okay, visually, this is not compelling for me. It's not as compelling as Hamlet was visually, and I really, really like amazing aesthetics. Sound design it is, and Lass is doing his thing, and it's fine, whatever. Um, so I think that's the reason why I wasn't blown away. Some highlights for me, however, were what they did with the murderers in the tower, these people, I don't know how, like, how they translated it, but, like, those were actually, like, real people, like, real characters. Like, I was like, oh, I totally see these people. And I just feel like a lot of times in Shakespeare, you get these, like, tiny roles, and they just, like, fulfill their purpose and leave, like, murderers in Richard III or in The Scottish Play or whatever. And here, I, they were super fleshed-out characters, and I really enjoyed this scene with them and And that was great, and I think a lot of a lot of it in sort of cutting down the cast they even they stopped introducing new characters at some point instead of doubling certain characters they just sort of had like for example um I don't know they had they didn't introduce they just had like Ratcliffe be the guy at the end who comes. When Richard orders, normally he has, like, this new guy, like Tyrell, who he orders to kill, um, to kill whom? Remind me? Yeah, at the end he has someone new who he's ordering to kill someone. I'm so sorry that I'm blanking on which murder this is. And here they just have a character that we already know. And so that was one way in which they did it. They gave these, instead of introducing new characters unnecessarily, um, they used characters that they already had and stuff like that. And I did feel like some of these characters, smaller characters like the murders, were more fleshed out. And there were funny parts, and what I already mentioned about Buckingham and like the very specific language that they're using that's more informal and funnier. Uh, I really appreciated that. really funny moment when Richard is pretending to be super religious and he's standing up on the balcony and someone calls him and then he looks up as if God were addressing him and then realizes that it's just the people down there super funny and so I appreciate that and I'm sure there were even more of those hilarious moments in person and I would have appreciated that in person but for me watching it on the video I was just like I don't care like this is not I'm barely seeing anything new so all of a sudden, what did I appreciate most about this Richard III? Like, the murderers. <laughs> and, like, these two murderers, because I'm like, this is new and interesting, and I haven't seen this before. And the and the rest, I don't know. Um, I had sort of seen it before in Hamlet. Yeah. Um,
0: I think I, that's how I felt about Hamlet, is I was like, oh, I've seen this before in Richard III.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, that's... Uh, yeah, That's that's what it is. So for me, it was the murderers funny moments and the badass amazing ending shot image which were really really great for me
0: yeah I think watching the two back-to-back also showed me like a lot of the directorial tricks or not tricks sorry ticks for better or for worse like the fact that they both have this kind of big prologue scene one is the party and one is the grave and that they both leave some kind of mark on the stage whether that's the confetti or the or the dirt that there's you know kind of similar showboating from lars eidinger you know the the problems with women like there are just there's certain things that like that maybe seemed novel the first time for better or for worse like i didn't the the misogyny didn't tick me off as much in Isolation with just Richard III, but then when you see it in both Richard III and Hamlet... Yeah.
1: And it's more violent in Hamlet, I think. Yeah. But yeah, so, question for the group. Was this the same play, basically? (laughs) Right? Like, I think that's the thing. At the end of the day, you know let's do another one of these in 10 years when Lars is playing King Lear and it's the exact same. Like, yeah. I think that what he does is good, successful, works really well, sells out internationally, and that's fine. But that combination, eidinger Ostamaya, it's going to be the same thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it is kind of stale in a way that you don't see that with other director-actor combinations where they're doing very different things with each but production. But it's not,
1: the way that it's not stale is when you're seeing it live. That's true. And he's responding to your audience. So it's stale if you watch a video of it, and that just proves why theater should be experienced live. Because I don't think it would be stale if you were sitting in the audience mm. for either of these Because you don't know. It's what you were talking about. You don't really know what's going to happen. Like I said, the production, the recording we're watching of Hamlet is from 2008 or 2009. And I can tell you guys, having seen it in 2019, that there were way more bits and way more funny parts, slapstick moments, improvisations with the audience. And you just miss all of that. Mm. Oh, the yogurt on his face was like... (laughs) so gross I don't know I don't know what it actually was I'm not Um, sure somebody
0: I read one review that suggested it was mayonnaise whether that's true or not I thought it was like potato when I saw it live (laughs) well I like mashed potato I don't know I don't know what it I don't know what it is mashed
1: theatrical potato with spirit gum (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i've gotta say um you know how i mentioned earlier tonight that i love gross and disgusting mm. i do but not that i thought that like that was actually i was like oh my god i don't want to look at you
0: like oh oh i, I have a question a cl- for was- you noemi because apparently all this dirt is quite common so what is the shower situation like backstage in german theaters
1: Okay, I've just got to say that, like, I haven't, I haven't checked out the showers at the showbina. Just at Gorky, we don't have enough showers. I've got to <laughs> say, like, no, for sure. After a lot of shows, actors will shower, and we do have showers backstage. And I would say, in Gorky, we maybe have like three or four in total, which is fine, except for the one time that we had an intense dance performance with 20 people touring from South Africa and everyone is completely covered in sweat by the end of the show and then we had like three showers (laughs) but no I mean I've done a lot of plays where actors end up covered in like dirt and dirt and um, blood and stuff like that and yeah for sure you shower after the show
0: (laughs) but do you have to shower in the middle of the show because I swear in some of Hamlet and Richard the third those actors, like Clarence, gets completely covered in gunk, right? And then he comes back later. Oh no!
1: Totally, totally possible. Actually, um, it's interesting because you have um, makeup artists like who are full time employees at the theater, mm. and not only they will do the makeup before the show, but in some slash a lot of shows, you definitely have not just a costume quick change, but you have whole makeup changes where getting the gunk on you or getting it off of you is happening mm. in the middle of the show so yeah that is pretty common
0: but not necessarily via shower just like alcohol wipes
1: depends how it depends <laughs> how intense it is
0: mm.
1: i can't speak to this exact production yeah. but there are definitely levels of gunk that could only be removed by shower yeah and that could absolutely i mean the dressing rooms are usually you know they're right backstage like that absolutely could happen in the middle of a show if it needed to or under the stage or to the side of the stage if they need to set up a quick change shower situation which i've seen
0: so ma like what how did you feel about i mean i guess it's just i think Noemi and I are both sort of disappointed by the way this was recorded, given our experiences mm-hmm. with the live show. And so it's interesting to me that you st- that you still really liked this production because you only ever saw it recorded.
2: Yeah, I guess letting the best be the enemy of the good is sort of it's fortunate that I haven't seen it live because I don't this doesn't feel like a letdown to me. But that's also because I'm, like, a big old Richard III fangirl, and the things that I really liked about this production are a genuinely compelling and charismatic Richard, sure, but that's the scenic one-on of a good Richard, right? That's necessary but not sufficient. The things that I really liked about this Richard were really good use of Margaret, which I've never seen before. Margaret is usually either cut as a character or comes across as kind of useless, and a really, really interesting Buckingham, but probably other people should talk about how they felt about this production first, because I can talk about Buckingham at great length well I feel like I said my piece about my general
0: thoughts on this production. Mhm, so
2: I too do not understand why they chose to have Margaret played by a man, like the actor was perfectly fine in the role, but it was like a capital C choice that stuck out to me and it was a little disconcerting.
0: Yeah, so when I saw it performed a couple years later, one of the things that was different was that Lars Eindringer came into the audience during Margaret's big speech and he actually sat Mm. down next to someone and he was Mm. kind of like pointing and laughing at Margaret. Like, can you believe this? Pretty much, yeah. And trying to get people to point and laugh with him. Um, Mm. So when I saw it, I read The Choice to Make Margaret played by a man and this is another one of those problematic things like a way of trying to make margaret more ridiculous so that we saw margaret more the way
2: he did i'm not sure that's what's going on in this rendition Mm -hmm. of it yeah i don't know that i agree with that because this margaret did not seem ridiculous she seemed genuinely dignified and she also seemed like a dire warning of everything to come you know she was like, look, everything's a cycle. You're at the apex. Just you wait, you know.
0: I did feel this production did a very good job of making it clear what Margaret's purpose was and what yes. her pronouncements were. And maybe partly because she was on high when everybody else was low. And it was very clear who she was speaking to when. And she kind of had one big scene and then she disappeared instead of sort of showing hanging around, hanging around like, who the hell are you and why are you here? Yes. Um, and then it took time with each of the characters to say later to be like, Oh yeah, Margaret predicted this. Mhm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it was done well and I do appreciate that they can use their levels <gasps> with having her above on this sort of balcony above everyone else. And I just unfortunately don't understand still why she was needed to be played by a man um, mm-hmm. Not that there was anything wrong with him But there's enough men And Yeah, I think that's another Another thing I'm like, oh cool, you're saying the N-word You're casting one of the very few female roles in As a male actor Like, amazing mm. So new, so interesting I think there, those were reasons I just, just kind of Got over it pretty
2: quickly Mm-hmm. If this had been a gender blind production, I would have cared a lot less about that. But what do you think of Elizabeth? Because I thought she was really great. Me too. And she had a much she had a much more substantial role in this production than in some I've seen, where she just gets to be like yet another victim of Richard. Mm. One of the things I really liked about this production is it does a very good job. Of establishing the factionalism in Edward's court and how unstable Edward's reign really is, even yes. before he dies.
0: Yeah, that scene where they're all where he forces them all to shake hands and mm-hmm. they do not want to do it. You really get the sense mm-hmm. of like this is yeah, as you said, it's very unstable. And they're all yeah, a bunch I'm of half- backstabbers, which is also
2: another put throws Richard into a different light. I think. Yes, he's merely a product of his environment in many ways. He's hardly uniquely evil. He's just weirdly better at it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it is also pretty funny when he's making everyone hug and yeah. forcing them and saying, you know, that they need to Um, like, um and like, hug, embrace, now, mm. Commanding them to do it when people refuse and are reluctant. And, I don't know.
0: Funny. Mm. Mm. It also does a good job of giving us the Henry Sixth context without having to see Henry VI. Because usually when I see Richard Third, it's sort of like, oh, okay, here's this villain and a bunch of people he's going to kill. And that's mm-hmm. kind of my context for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I feel like it was much more nuanced in this.
2: Except for one thing, and this is the thing that like drives me nuts about a lot of Richard productions. And it only comes through if you've seen Henry the Sixth or if you make a point of playing it up. Which is that Richard is a war hero. Like... Part of the reason everyone is terrified of Richard is not just because he's disabled and therefore deformed and strange and grotesque. It's that he's the reason everybody's here. The reason Edward is on the throne is that Richard is really good at killing people. And and like that's, that's the part of his opening monologue. And now in this weak piping time of peace, my job is killing people. My job is fighting. Now I don't have a job. And you don't feel that... You don't feel that sense of menace from Richard from moment one. Which I think is really important to understanding why everybody is so weird about him. It's not just because Richard is disabled. It's because he's disabled and grotesque and they need him. Like, they can't do without him. They can't write him off as someone harmless, right? They don't, they don't like him because they're prejudiced against him. But he's also the reason that all of them are here. He is the source of all of the security they enjoy, and none of them trust him.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, we got to talk about his fighting with thin air. Yes.
1: Oh, yes, of course. Okay, so basically, in the final scene, mm-hmm. um, you don't have other people. You have, the first time you hear, my horse, my horse, kingdom for a horse, or horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. It's when he's sort of waking up from a dream, but then it happens again in real life, but everything happens alone. You have this sort of one-man battle scene where he's fighting with thin air. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a scene that we will discuss.
0: And also, no. my horse, my horse is for whatever reason in English.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's a famous line
0: in English? I'm guessing that's why. It's just kind of bizarre. Pferd auf Deutsch. It's Pferd. It's
1: just, I mean, less, you know, horse. It's kingdom pferd. of horse. Pferd. It's just like, you know, it's like kind of a weird word to say.
2: Yeah, it sounds very flat. Pferd. Not a lot of there. In
1: pferd, Pferd. <laughs> mein Königreich für ein Pferd. Uh. I don't think it has the same ring to it.
2: No, it doesn't.
0: Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say is I loved Polonius speaking German. I had no idea what he was saying, but he seemed more Polonius to me in German.
1: (laughs) That's so funny.
0: (laughs) So what do we think about this battle with thin air?
1: Uh, Generally super down for things like this. Unfortunately, I'm tainted because I have seen the best one man battle scene ever at the Deutsches Theater, which is another major theater in Berlin. Mm -hmm. In a production of Ubu And it was so good. It's a gigantic battle scene only from one actor. Cool. And so I have been totally spoiled. So I'm super down. And I think that it's an interesting concept for him to do it alone. And I really like just the idea of him ending up totally alone. And this final image is absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. Chef's kiss but but I have been slightly ruined because I have seen a better one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like I don't really know what the point of him fighting with thin air is. I like the idea of the way that he's alienated everybody by this point to the point that now his final scene is alone, but that's kind of a very meta thing that I'm not sure that it's concluding the play itself in a way
2: that totally works for me. I mean, I felt like it was it was making an interesting point about Richard, which is that his his in this interpretation at least his paranoia becomes his own worst enemy, right? He starts he starts killing people and screwing around with people um not because they have betrayed him, but because they are insufficiently super loyal. This oh, this was such an interesting Buckingham. I've never seen a youthful, handsome Buckingham contrasted with, or at least supposed to be contrasted with the, you know, hunchbacked, derided by everyone Richard. Like in Margaret's speech, when Margaret says, when Margaret specifically points out Buckingham and is like, look, all of these other people have done so many awful things, but you, you're okay. Okay. You're like the only one here who's never done an awful thing. And then we see Buckingham volu- almost volunteer to help Richard without Richard having to seduce him. And Richard kind of looks at the audience and goes, okay, I guess I'm going to run with this, but I didn't see that one coming. And then Richard ultimately, ultimately betrays the man who has helped him rise not because he feels that Buckingham is disloyal, but because Buckingham is, becomes insufficiently a yes man. Like, the last scene where Richard is fighting thin air, you feel... It's not like Richard has alienated the world. It's that, like, Richard is his own worst enemy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because it honestly feels ridiculous that he wouldn't play the game and mm-hmm. give Buckingham what he wants. It just feels like he mm-hmm. becomes a petulant child. who's fighting mm-hmm. him for no reason and... It definitely leads to his downfall, and it's almost like he wants it. He's ready for mm-hmm. his downfall, and he's going to orchestrate it himself. Mm-hmm. Because it would not have been hard to just give him the damn castle. Give him the
2: earldoms. Like, yeah. But I am not of the giving vein today. And in some Richards, you see this as Richard is a small and petty bully who likes to withhold things from people because it makes him feel powerful. And in some cases you see this as as in this production, exactly as you said, Richard is fundamentally self defeating. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But that's fun to watch. Yeah. Oh, Lars Kisses a dude in as Richard. Ratcliffe. Oh is yeah. This story was someone. like,
2: please stop leaning into the homophobia. If I actually thought that you were portraying a an ambiguously heterosexual or at least non heterosexual Richard, that would be one thing. But right now, I feel like you're just doing this for shits and giggles, or for shock value.
1: Or to, like, eat this man's face in a disgusting way.
2: Hmm.
1: Oh, it's so gross. Wow, all of the things that I like that were gross in Hamlet, I'm like, this is unacceptably gross. (laughs) (laughs) No, it turns out that I never, wow, yeah, it turns out that I never, like, forced, like, sexual assault scenes, whether they're... To a woman or to a man. So I guess I'm really consistent. I didn't like that in either of these plays.
2: Well, let's stop using sexual assault for shock value. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Yep. Okay,
0: I remember what I was going to say, which was just a brief discussion about Richard and his disability Mm. and how we think that was portrayed. I think one of the things that I liked about it is that this is a very athletic Richard. Like, yes, he has mm-hmm. a hunch. Yes. He has like a bit of a limp sometimes, but it, it by no means slows him down. Impedes him. Yeah. And so this is one of the few Richards where I felt like, yeah, I can see you being in a battle and kicking ass because mm-hmm. just because you, you know, are a bunch back toad does not mean that you are not fully capable. Um, And that's something that I really liked. Um, And something that I noticed in the production, the staging when I saw it live a couple years later was that Richard sort of takes every opportunity he can to sit down, which I felt was Mm -hmm. really realistic. And often what Mm -hmm. he did is he sort of made people come to him, um, Mm -hmm. which was kind of an interesting inversion of what Rupert Gould and Ray Fiennes did with Richard III, where Richard was kind of circling the stage always. Um, whereas with Lars Eidinger, he was like, "No, I, I'm in pain. I'm gonna sit down, and I'm gonna find mm-hmm. a way to make people come to me and find power in the fact that I'm
2: sitting down." Mm-hmm. When, when plays really, want, when when portrayals of Richard III really want to engage with Richard's deformity, quote unquote, how much are they also willing to engage with the reality of his disability? This production seemed much more willing to engage with the reality of his physical circumstances than many would be. I don't know. What
0: do you think about the braces? And I guess I'm not sure how I, f- like, I mean, we are talking about the corset, but I guess I'm not sure how I feel about the corset in the context of how it's portraying disability pre-corset. That's something to be corrected? Yeah. Or... Yeah. Cause yeah. I guess I just didn't feel like there need, I didn't get the sense that it needs to be corrected in the first half. But well, on the other hand... A, I mean, this
2: Richard is, like, a, such a fundamentally insecure man, right? Yeah. In a way that other Richards aren't.
0: Yeah. And you do... There is, like, that progression of going from the t-shirt to the tux. And so, in a way, it makes sense that if he tr- keeps trying to perfect his body, that the next step is straightening his back. To no
2: longer... Yes
1: like i said i think that's just because he's in this role of the kingship that is structured in the way that none of his other roles have been yeah mm-hmm. um and that's why he hates it and chooses to self-destruct within the context of this production
0: mhm
1: now i'm i really like the idea of portraying these super super clear like yeah like black sort of braces that are very obviously theatrical and not real and not mm-hmm. trying to you know, I like saying that, like, okay, we're putting this on. We're not going to try to, like, craft a realistic-looking, I don't know, humpback thing so that when he looks mm-hmm. totally nude, like, you're like, oh, wow, that's a realistic-looking thing. I really appreciate saying, like, no, this is theater. This is really mm-hmm. clear that I'm putting this on for this performance, and mm-hmm. I'm not trying to pretend like I have a disability that I don't.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. It, it in a way it makes it more palatable if you get the the idea of casting an able-bodied actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No one's pantomiming being a
2: disabled person.
0: I, I wonder if he's one of the only Richards who like didn't throw at his back playing the role. Because you hear horror, stories, every actor has a sto- who's played Richard the Third has a story about how they ruined their back by playing Richard the Third.
1: That is so dumb, <laughs> <laughs> man. And they're like, ah, uh, yes, anything for the art. It's my craft.
0: Okay, so that's the end of this episode of the 21st Folio. Where can we find you, Noemi Berkowitz?
1: Hi, you can find me on my website, com, or on Twitter at Noemi Ola. And you can give me a job as an actor, director, or translator.
2: What do you translate?
1: German, Polish, English, and...
0: Theater.
2: You can find me at Laps Victorian on Twitter.
0: And I'm Alex Heaney. You can find me on Twitter at B West Bwestcineast, That's B W E S T C I N E A S T E. And you can also find me and often Mary Angela on the Seventh mm. Row podcast where we talk about films. If you enjoyed the episode, we would really appreciate it if you would consider rating and reviewing rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you're listening to the podcast and we'd love to hear your thoughts so thanks for listening